Game of Thrones Book of the Stranger is over, but we're just getting started here on Game of Thrones Live, the post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys with more hot takes than Vias Dothrak. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Uh, I'm doing really well. I, too, am very warm right now. As some of you guys may be able to tell if you are watching the video feed, I am in a different place than normal, and it's a little toasty here. I'm in sunny California, and you can tell that there's so much sunshine. Yes, yes. Well, it is nighttime. The sun does go down at nighttime. And boy, it was uh, a lot of stuff going on. As some people, I believe that uh, our our buddy uh, Humby might have said it was the uh, the happiest episode of Game of Thrones of all time. The happiest Unless episode you were of Game of fan. Thrones. If you really Man, like, uh, yeah. like Asha. Well, yeah, if you're an Asha fan, that was a real... I mean, that was really tough. We haven't seen her since season three, and then we get her back in one episode, and now we have one more episode, and she's just stabbed in the throat. Uh, I I feel like this was not great. Uh, that that made me sad. I was sad to see her go so fast. Yeah. Easy come, easy go. Yeah, uh, I guess. <laughs> All right. Will we let her go? Let's I guess not, we do. Let's not let let's yes, not, let's let that, that get us down on a night where Danny is uh, back in charge of the Kalasar. Yeah, she is uh, the Khaleesi of the Great Grass Sea. Is uh, she's back? You know, we've seen a lot of Mother of Dragons, Breaker of Chains. It was cool to really see her back to her roots, her grassroots here, <laughs> taking on Call uh, Morrow and everybody all on her own steam. Um, you know, Jorah and Dario, they're launching their rescue effort to save her and everything. They're not needed in the end. This is pure Danny, and I thought that was really great. I loved the way that Danny handled this. Well, we'll talk all that through. We had a Stark reunion at the wall. People said it would never happen. No two Starks would ever meet each other again. We had that. I got chills. I got chills. And not just multiplying. We at the wall, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then uh, we had uh, plenty of other things, uh, family reunions at the uh, in Pike, even uh, Marjorie and Loris got to see each other again. So uh, plenty of stuff to talk about here on a surprisingly optimistic week in Game of Thrones. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it's optimistic ish. I guess it really this is probably about as happy as, good as, as it gets, gets on Game of yeah. Thrones. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it really typically does not work out so well for everybody. Uh, but it was really great to see some Starks back together. I don't think that anyone really had John and Sansa being the first pair to reunite in their pool going into this season, maybe. Uh, but here you go. That's where we're at. And that's fun. They both seem to be pretty happy with each other right now. Okay. So let's just set the stage real quick. We are live here on Sunday night, uh, Monday morning, even if you're on the East coast, we've got our hashtag PS recaps. You can also, uh, post comments on our YouTube channel at postshowrecaps.com slash YouTube. Uh, first of several game of Thrones podcasts that we're going to have uh, during the week, we've got the feedback show coming up later on this week. We'll remind you how to get the feedback into the show. I know Terry is traveling. Are you guys going to do a book club this week, Josh? Yeah. If you guys aren't following Terry Schwartz, my book club co-host on Twitter, Terry at underscore Schwartz, you are missing out the fact that she was just like in Hobbiton. She was in the Shire. <laughs> She's traveling through New Zealand right now, which is really cool. So that means Terry can't be with us for the book club this week, but that's okay. We've got a backup plan, and it's pretty great, and you're going to have to listen to the Game of Thrones book club to find out what it is. Okay, make sure you don't miss any of those podcasts. When you subscribe to our podcast feed, go to postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes for that link, and we always appreciate your feedback and Stark ratings in the iTunes store for the Game of Thrones post-show recap. Okay, so let's start with Danny, and uh, what, what are the ramifications 
for all of this. So now, could I just talk through, not to get super technical here, Josh, in terms uh, of this plan. We love getting super technical, though. Yeah, I do. I do. I do. This is um, your thing. Okay. This is your jam. So basically, you know, Danny just is, uh, you know, she says, uh, well, let me be your leader. And they say no. And they get really, really, I thought that they were very over the top with, they could have just said, no, I don't think that we don't want to do that. They didn't have to go see you next Tuesday. Sure. Right. But they're the broth Rocky, bro. Yeah. That's, that's what they do. It was all fun and games until they really went there. They really went there. That's how it goes. It's like, you go real dark after a certain point and they went real dark and that's when you get burned. You knew those guys were done after that. So now did Danny have like was the stage set here at all? Was this a trap? Like did Jora and Dario just like pour gasoline everywhere? I mean, it did seem like this place went up pretty quickly. I know it's a you know kind of a grass hut to begin with, but did she right. have any help with setting this up or she just knew, oh, if I just knock down this torch, this whole place is going to go up and everybody here will be dead. So you think like the next thing that we saw after Dario and Jora decide not to kill Danny's friend and Danny's like, we don't have to run. I've got another plan and it's totally going to work. You think like the next thing she's like, all right, you guys find some gas, go into that hut, pour the gas all over the hut. Make sure it's really like, make sure it's really in there. Like you really want to make sure that it's like going right up to like the bench where everyone's going to be sitting down. Then get out of there, get out of there really fast. Make sure no one sees you. And then I'll take care of the rest. You think that's how it played out? I just, from what I know about Or is it just that fire is powerful and awesome and fire really just did its thing and Daenerys is a badass and we could leave it there? I guess we could leave it there. I I mean, if you tell me that's what I'm supposed to, I'm just wasn't sure how I'm supposed to interpret it. I I don't think that there's too much really to interpret one way or the other. I think it's Game of Thrones. I think fire is, you know, powerful and crazy things happen. And I think that's really all that Danny did. I don't, I don't know. Maybe there, maybe we'll find out in episode five, first scene. It's like, you know, Danny high fives Jora and Dario and is like, oh, you guys did a great job. And as she's high fiving, Jora finds out that he has grayscale. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the reveal. We had Jora and Dario on the rescue mission uh, and Dario finds out that Jora has the grayscale. You think that he can keep this between him? Can he keep that secret between bros? Got to imagine zero chance because like the level of like camaraderie between the two leading up to that moment was so thin their conversation was Dario literally being like, oh, man, Jorah, it must suck to be such an old man because you can't handle Daenerys Targaryen and I barely can handle her. And he's just like rubbing it in his face and being really awful about it. And Jorah's like, can you not? I really don't want to have to break your face before we go and save Danny." Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like they're already like this thin, like they're really not doing well together. When they showed up and Danny ran into them again, was that coordinated or she just happened to be going to the bathroom at the same exact time that they came around the corner? Cause she didn't seem that surprised to see them. She was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Dario and Jorah, I'm so happy to see you. Yeah. I think that is what they call serendipity. Oh, serendipity. Yeah. Okay. Again, I just want to be clear what, uh, how I'm supposed to be if I if I missed something. I think she just had like really good timing or maybe like her bladder just like it was it's like Darnell Hamilton's gut. Like you just trust it. Like it's time to go pee, time to go to the bathroom, and suddenly now it's time to reunite with Jorah and Dario. I think it was just great coincidence. Fantastic coincidence. And I don't want to bury the lead here, but uh just really a fantastic <laughs> scene with yeah. Danny and everything that went on. I mean, uh shades of what went on uh at Slaver's Bay. Uh, with the dragons just torching that place. Uh, really a, uh, a a momentous way to end the show. 
Yeah, also just kind of, you know, a really beautiful callback to season one. You know, mm-hmm. the big iconic moment in season one when Danny steps into the Khal Drogo funeral pyre. It's covered in fire. Everyone's really worried for her. And then the morning after, the dust has settled and she emerges with dragons. You know, she's naked in the ash and she is now suddenly super powerful with these three living nuclear bombs under her belt uh, if she were wearing a belt. And it's just like this great, great image and this felt really evocative of that. Like, it really felt like a great callback to that and a real awesome return to form for Danny, who I don't think it's just you and me. I think it's a lot of fans have been kind of like, Danny, do something. Like, do mm-hmm. something cool, please. Like, stop being just like stuck in this storyline. And she still obviously has a ways to go. And I don't think she touches down on Westeros by the end of the season, but I think she's closer, you know, closer to that path than she was at the start of the season, and that's progress, at least. Josh, can I ask you something that's uh, kind of inside baseball with Game of Thrones, but since you are a Game of Thrones insider, I thought that maybe you might know the answer. I feel like that over the last few years, so much has been made of the fact that Amelia Clark has said that she has uh, contractually, she doesn't want to do any nudity on the show, and I feel like that she's the only character, I feel like that I've, I've read that she has said in many press reports about how it's in her contract that she's not going to do nudity anymore in the show. But then I was very surprised when she is uh, topless at the end of the show uh, in that, in that big scene was, do we know is that was, was that her? Did she change her contract? Cause I thought that she was vehemently against doing nudity on game of Thrones anymore. You know, I haven't studied those comments from her super closely, to be honest with you. I'm not so interested in that stuff. Oh, but I don't make it like that's my no, thing. No, I'm, I'm not trying to make it like anything. Let me just tell you my take. My take is, from what I have read, is I think that it's been more that she's like, come on, dudes, hang some dong. Join us here in the naked party. It's a lot of fun <laughs> over here. I think it was more that, and it was more like, let's have some equal opportunity. Uh, I don't think that it's so much like I'm not doing nudity anymore, but then again, who knows? Uh, obviously she was naked tonight. Uh, and it was a really powerful vision. It was a very powerful, powerful scene and image. And I think, um, my guess would be that like when it's appropriate and when it's really powerful and moving the story forward, it's something that these people are game for. And I think that this worked. I mean, you know, it shows that Danny herself is fireproof. Her clothes are not. So she's Mm going to come out of there and she's not going to be wearing anything. It only stood out to me because I know that she has commented on not wanting to do it anymore uh, on the show. Uh, But we won't get hung up on that uh, here. I'm sure that she was like throwing some stuff at the TV the other week when uh, Jon Snow had like a little loincloth over his body. He's like, come on, (laughs) come on, show us what you got down there. Let's see if Tormund's right. So where does Uh, she go from here with this now? Okay, so now she's got the Dothraki on board. What's the plan now? Head back to Marine? Yeah, I think probably, right? I mean, she still has vested interest in Meereen. She at least has to swing back there to pick up her dragons because, you know, they're locked up over there. She's got to pick up the kids before she heads over to Westeros. But I do think that this is great news for getting Danny closer to the Seven Kingdoms by pushing her agenda back to where it was when she was in the first season of the show and, you know, the seasons after that. Um, Danny hasn't really seemed to be super focused on it recently i mean she was talking to Tyrion about wanting to break the wheel and everything but she was so focused on what was going on in Meereen that it felt like westeros was really far away but she has this great moment here when she's talking to Khal morrow and talking to all of his brothraki and saying like this is where i was when Khal drogo said he was gonna you know give me the stallion that mounts the world and we were gonna cross the narrow sea and we were gonna conquer everything and it's gonna be amazing 
And here you guys are talking about, you know, sacking villages and raping people. And you guys are pathetic. And I'm now going to take over. And it's I feel a bunch like of the, losers. Yeah, you losers. And I think that, you know, when she is saying that, I think that it's kind of not just like a reminder to us, like what the context of this place is and the importance of this place that she's physically in is to the series. I think it's also a reminder for her. It's like, yeah, let me get back to that because that was great when we were going to go do that. Remember when me and Caldrogo were going to conquer Westeros? That was so cool. Now I should probably go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. her head is in that spot, which is great. It's like, hey, remember when we had like these big plans? We were going to take over the world. Then we got caught up in all this bureaucracy and red yeah. tape. Like, let's go yeah. back to what we were thinking way back when. Now, we saw with Tyrion, he had this big meeting with the masters. And Ugh. really, Grey, Grey Worm was out on this. Missandei was out on this. Like, everybody yeah. else. Um all the yeah, all the people from uh, Marine, where they were all upset about this. So <laughs> Tyrion comes up with this plan, and it's a little bit of a compromise. Uh, he says, "Okay, well, why don't we end slavery? Not today. Uh, what about seven years? Seven years a slave for everybody, and then <laughs> and then that's it." Yeah. Oh man, not a great look for Tyrion Lannister, who's typically so progressive and so rootable and you know likable, and one of the characters that we really, really love on the show coming out and being like, you know, the slavery thing—you could do it for a little while longer, right? Like, and he's like on an island with that. None of his advisors are like, no, please, please don't. We don't like that. And Tyrion's just like, eh, but it's just seven years. Mm-hmm. What's the big but, deal? <laughs> but don't you think that that is like a like a real world type thing where it's like, okay, I want to pass this, but I'll never get that approved. So here's this watered down version of the yeah. legislation that I can get them to say yes to. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's the bureaucratic thing. You know, we we haven't seen too much of the political wheeling and dealing and negotiating on this show in a little while, I think. You know, we've been focused on some bigger picture things and then like petty conflicts as well between the Lannisters and the High Sparrow and all of that jazz. So to see Tyrion, you know, really trying to, you know, deal with these guys, to deal with the masters of Slaver's Bay, the the Yunkai and Astapor and Volantis of it all and try to end this peacefully on terms that they could buy. Um, feels in character for Tyrion Lannister. And it's an unfortunate look for him, but in terms of his character and in terms of where he stands and what he's good at, you understand where he's coming from. But you also get where Grey Worm and Missandei are coming from, which makes this a really beautiful dilemma mm-hmm. where they are like, you know, we, you, you were a slave for like five minutes, Tyrion. You know what it's like to be a slave, but you don't understand what it's like to be a slave, which I thought was a really great distinction. And I think that they should be listened to a little more closely when they're saying like, yeah, go with this deal, Tyrion. That's going to be great for five minutes until they completely betray you and don't honor their end of the deal. And I think that that's probably the likely scenario is Tyrion saying slavery is over in seven years. What's going to be in place, you know, eight years from now? Slaves are still going to be in all those cities. The Grey Worm might have put his foot in his mouth uh, when he was talking about how, oh, they just see me. As a slave, they see Missandei as a whore. I feel like that uh, Missandei might say, well, I don't know if that's quite how they see me, Grey Worm. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it it's that like, way. I didn't no, mean it no, that. no, 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 no. She didn't get you mad, misunderstand. No. Uh, yeah. But do you see that these two stories coming together where then the Dothraki head to Marine and uh, we don't actually go through with the seven-year compromise It'll actually be the Dothraki will take out the masters and everybody uh, who is against the, the slaves. Yeah, kind of hard to imagine Danny signing off on this. And she's 
you know, she's in charge of the Dothraki. They seem really into Daenerys Targaryen now. They're all bowing at her by the end of the episode. And I think that, you know, this was on my mind during this whole thing that Tyrion was doing is like exactly what Grey Worm and Missandei are saying to him is, Danny's not going to like this. And, you know, Tyrion is valuable to Danny, absolutely, but he's known her for five minutes. You know, he really doesn't know her at all. She shows back up here and finds out about this deal that Tyrion made. Can't imagine that's great news for Tyrion. Danny has exiled people for less. You feel like Danny's going to get back and say, okay, hold on, let me get this straight. So you negotiated a deal with the masters to keep right. slavery going for seven more years. Yeah, the one uh, thing that I really seem to dislike more than anything else, and you just said that that's cool for the next, you know, better part of a decade. You know, I'm besides myself about this whole this whole thing. Let me just go, let me go see, let me go check in on my dragons yeah. uh, downstairs. Wait, you let my you let my dragons out too? Yeah, you're just letting them run all over the house unsupervised. Worst babysitter ever. Ever. <laughs> I'm gonna go back on care.com and find somebody new. Yeah. to take over for my as the uh, Misa. Okay, um, let, let's pair. go. Let's talk about the Stark reunion because a uh, huge moment in the show and the, the show's history tonight when Sansa shows up. Yeah, of course, man. This was fantastic. This was really great and. I know that you and I were naive enough to believe that this could possibly happen, that John and Sansa could reunite here, but it really was hard to see, for me at least. Like, how is John going to leave Castle Black, wander out, you know, start going down south, and not run into Sansa? So it was either going to happen on the field or it was going to happen at Castle Black. Here it happens. They hug it out, and it is a beautiful, beautiful moment, and it really is one of the happier moments we've ever had on Game of Thrones. Yeah, because I felt like last week's episode ended in sort of a weird spot where John is like, "All right, that's it, I'm out of here," right. and we like I figure, "Oh, he's gone," but no, I'm actually I'm gonna go upstairs to my room and go pack my stuff, and then I'll be I'll be out of here. Okay, so how he, great like, was good. it? <laughs> how great was it when Ed was like, "So where are you going?" John's like, "South," and it's like, "And what are you gonna do?" He's like, "Get a tan." I don't know. Get warm, chill, sure. Uh, yeah. So Sansa is like, okay, come on, let's go. Let's do this. Come on, Castle Black. Let's go. Let's go take out Ramsay. And he's like, I don't want to. He's I don't like, feel ah, like it. About yeah. that. You know, the whole fighting thing, I'm kind of not doing it anymore. I did that. I lost. I'm done. Let's go to Dorne and drink some Dornish red. Uh, yeah, he doesn't seem to really like this idea that Sansa is putting forth. But, you know, things progress. You know, yeah. things happen where he's like, all right, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should take care of this. So they get this raven where then Ramsey, in great detail, really outlines uh, his plan. Now, what is Ramsey's plan exactly? I mean, is it, is, am, am I, is it on the nose that Ramsey basically is just like a super... Uh, villainy type, you know, monologuing type thing. Let me tell you my entire plan here, Mr. Bond. Yeah. Or is he trying, is this a trap that he's trying to lure Jon Snow into by sending him a letter like this? Because no, if it's you, not a trap, <laughs> it does seem like a rather bad move on his part. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think I never really thought about it in those terms, but I do think that Ramsey's got like that Bond villain quality about him. Uh, you know, it's definitely like a Blofeld moment. It's like a Ramsey Blofeld uh, where he's like, no, Mr. Snow, I expect you to die. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that he's really just courting Jon Snow's ire and just wants to draw him down from the wall or at least he is arrogant enough to believe that he'll turn over Sansa. And if he doesn't, he'll just come up to Castle Black and take him out. Ramsey 
thinks that he's all that. You know, he's in charge of Winterfell right now. He's Lord of Winterfell, Warden of the North. And all of that power came to him very, very suddenly. He was a psychopath to begin with. Strategy was never really his thing. That was his dad's game. And this is what the new regime looks like in the North when Ramsey is in charge. You just, like, tell people exactly your stupid, stupid, stupid strategy and expect people to eat it up by the spoonful. (laughs) Makes no sense to me, but some people seem to really like it. Like delicious wall soup. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that wall soup looked really great. Yeah. Better what do you than think was the in chicken. It? Right. Okay, so let's just uh, stick with uh, the stuff at the wall, and then we'll talk about what's going on back uh, at Winterfell yeah. with uh, poor Asha. Uh, so we ended up seeing a couple of uh, interesting conversations uh, between Sir Davos and Melisandre about, hey, by the way, I know you've been here for a couple of weeks. Uh, what, what happened with Stannis? Right. You know, in Davos's defense, like, again, this story is moving slowly. It's only been like three days. It's been like, you know, two, maybe. Like, it Mm. hasn't been more than three. And a lot of things had been happening. And there were more pressing matters than finding out what had happened to Stannis and Shireen. But Melisandre really, you know, three days is enough time to think of, like, a cover story. You know, be like, yeah, it was really terrible. Something really bad happened. And this was the thing. And it definitely isn't that story that's real about me burning your friend alive mm-hmm. yeah you know, she could have come up with something <laughs> well the okay the status part was fine but then he starts asking about shireen and you and i had talked about that i believe yeah. either uh earlier this season in one of these recaps of the voicemail shows about uh what's going on with the shireen story and i naively said ah uh, i don't think that the i think that's in the past we're, right. we're moving on from that but it, it came up again it does seem as though there will be some consequences there in that storyline, I mean, uh, what do you think happens when when Davos inevitably figures out what happened? Not great. Not great for Melisandre. And I mean, she really doesn't have friends, you know, feel bad for Melisandre a little bit. You know, she's feeling really committed to Jon Snow. She's like, I'm going to go wherever Jon Snow goes. Has she checked in with Jon Snow about that? Like, has she talked to Jon about that? Good like, point. I'm tagging along. He's like, you know, it's kind of thinking this is more of a solo trip. Um, and I think when, when Davos finds out and if Davos finds out, but it's probably a, when we already have Melisandre is not like super beloved by John necessarily. Davos was her like second closest friend. Who's obviously going to be pissed about this. And on top of that, we had Brienne just like saunter mm. into, you know, just like bust up this conversation and be like, Hey guys, I, I remember see that what coming. you did. I remember exactly what you did and I am not going to forget or forgive it. Um, and I think that once, you know, if that if that secret ever comes up, if it ever comes up that Shireen was murdered, basically, by Melisandre, you got to feel like Davos is like going to look at Brienne and be like, all right, green light, take care of this. You're good. You, I will not stand in your way. Uh, so I don't know how it'll play out, but I don't think it's going to be pretty. I think whenever that comes up, I think it's going to be pretty bad. Okay, then let's go down to Winterfell and talk about... You don't want to talk about the new relationship on Game of Thrones? You don't want to talk about the new hotness? What's the new hotness? The new hotness is Brienne and Tormund Giantsbane. How much is that a thing? People are talking about that on Twitter, in comments. Uh, Do you think that that's really where they're going? I don't know if it's really where they're going, but it was a great... uh, It was a great 
a great thing that happened on screen twice. You know, Brienne rolls the bear in and the maiden fair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, he loves bears. Uh, so he, you know, he looks at Brienne as soon as she rolls into Castle Black and is just like, wow, yeah, into that. And then they're having, you know, breakfast together or dinner together <laughs> or whatever a couple days later. And he's really just like giving her the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And I don't know what Brienne's thing. She's kind of looking at him being like, I don't know. The big beard thing isn't really my thing. Uh, but she's, I don't know. He seems to be into it. So I don't know. I think that at the very least, that was a really fun set of scenes. And I'm excited to see what they do with Brienne and Tormund now that they're kind of orbiting the same space. I think that those are two characters I never really thought about as being on screen together, let alone like exchanging moments. But that's actually a really fun pair. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we'll I said pear, not bear. Bear, not bear. Yeah. All right. So then, uh, okay, at Winterfell, uh, we had this scene where they bring Asha to to Ramsey, and it's like, hey, what's going to happen here? And so many bad things, possibly. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, one of the bad things uh, did happen. Did you think at any point that Asha was going to kill no. Ramsey? Zero, zero chance. I mean, I, I definitely didn't think that he was going to kill her. I was surprised that that's where we went. I think I thought that he was going to do something awful to her, you know, something drawn out and terrible the way that Ramsey likes to do things. But I didn't think him just like stabbing her in the throat was going to be one of them. Uh, I thought that we would get a little more OSHA this this season. And unfortunately, it was not to be. Uh, But yeah, that was all really bad. But don't worry, Rob. This is all part of the big conspiracy that the Northerners are pulling together (laughs) to take out Ramsey. It's like, all right, OSHA, you're going to have to like die for this to work. Like it's going to we're really going to have to sell it. No, well, that's all. That's hypothetically, all. Hypothetically, I mean, that's, that sounds like a bunch of malarkey to me. They they could have had a plan, which was, hey, let's send in Rickon and Osha, and we know that when Ramsey, he's gonna have Osha brought to his room. Right, and we then, know that Ramsey really likes slicing green apples. Time, so make right. sure that you send Osha to seduce him during slicing green apples. Time. <laughs> I mean, that still could have been the plan. Yes, it's but, a no. I get you're plan. right. You're right. It does seem as though that you would think that the cavalry would have been uh, closer by if this was all part of some sort of a a hoax. I think that the hoax is out the window for me, Rob. I'm out on the hoax. I think that this really this uh, stuck a knife in the hoax. All right, uh, let's talk about then uh, over in the Iron Islands. Uh, speaking of things that that Ramsey has stuck a knife in, uh, Theon is home. Yeah, Theon is back. Uh, we had speculated, is it possible, you know, uh, I think this was uh, Brendan's theory, Brendan Fitzpatrick's theory, is Theon going to go back to Winterfell? And is he going to be Reek again? Is he going to reactivate in that mode? Uh, it turns out he's actually gone back to the Iron Islands. Good for you, Theon. Uh, except it was really not a welcome, you know, returned home. Yara was really mean to him. She was mean to him because she thought he was coming back. Oh, look, here's uh, Theon come lately. He wants to be not, part not of this lately. King's boat. No, not, not lately. No, 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 no. Easy, easy. Not recently. Not uh, oh, look seasons. who's wants to show up uh, to be in the King's moot. Yeah, it's like, oh, King Theon, this is going to happen. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, and Theon like shows up and he's like, okay, uh, I don't want that. I really want nothing to do that, but I want to be, uh, I want to be your right hand person. Like, I want to be your number two. I want to work for you. I want to get you elected to the King's Moot. What do you think about him as chief of staff for Yara Greyjoy? Is this a good role for him? Would you say, is he like chief of staff or vice president? Is it sort <laughs> of like the 
Ted Cruz naming Carly Fiorina as vice president? Is it like Yara is already like like down in the numbers really bad and she needs some energy for the campaign? Uh, this is a bad boost if, the, if they're bringing Theon in as the VP. So maybe that's accurate. Carly Theon Arena. Uh, <laughs> Stop. Stop. Uh, <laughs> Not the Fior- worst of the day. Fiorica. Uh, Fiorica. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Eureka. Yeah, uh, but you have Theon back in this storyline. Are you excited to see him here in the Iron Islands? This is a good turn for that character, do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, <laughs> after everything Theon has been through, any turn would be a good turn for Theon. I guess, but I think in terms of like the show overall, I guess the Iron Island stuff has to be really compelling for it to warrant taking Theon off into that direction when things are now really starting to heat up between Jon Snow and Ramsay Bolton, you know, this, these two very different bastards who seem to be eyeing each other and getting ready for conflict. Because if Theon hadn't left Sansa's group, he would be at Castle Black right now. He'd have all sorts of, you know, fallout with Jon and Theon about that. And Theon now could be in a position to kind of go back to Winterfell and fight it out with Ramsay on Jon's side and Sansa's side. I feel like it would be really great to have that character in the mix for this storyline that's really building up. So I hope whatever they're doing on the Iron Islands this year is worth keeping Theon away from that story because I feel like that would have been a really great spot for him. Yeah, I think that you need Theon there because I think that there's more juice if Theon is there as opposed to if it was just Iron Island stuff and it was sure. just every every Euron and and Yara having their their own sort of storyline and there's not a major character there that we are familiar with and I think that for the, especially the TV viewers I think that it's going to be like, why are we watching this? Yeah, definitely. I think that that's a fair point because it's like, well, we've got Yara there. Isn't that enough? No, Yara's not enough. Yara is great. She's fine. But we need been like, on the show in two years. right? Yeah, we need a main character there. Otherwise, it's just going to be Dorn. <laughs> and honestly, we had main characters in Dorn. But that probably also speaks to why you needed Jamie there last season, where I think that they felt like, OK, well, this, there's a whole other right. region that, that that can't carry. We can't spend, you know, uh, 40 minutes of TV time there without one of our main characters in play. Right. And look at that turned out. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's speaking of Jamie, uh, let's check in with uh, at King's Landing and uh, what's going on. And really some interesting stuff there. Well, first we had our de facto stuff going on with the High Sparrow for the week. Yeah. The High Sparrow, like talking for 15 minutes about shoes. Sparrowlog, yeah. <laughs> Sparrowlogging, yeah. Uh, Sparrowlog date, yeah. I, it, was, <laughs> it, it was just a lot of talk about shoes and fashion. I mean, I did like his, his remark. I thought that this was actually a really great line um, to Marjorie about how, like, you're wearing a year, like the soul of a man, like a year of the soul of the man on your back. Like I forget exactly how he phrased it, but it was kind of beautiful of like, you're, you've probably never thought about the person who designed that dress that you're wearing. You know, if you go back out there, you're just going to go back to your lavish lifestyle. That's what your family, I'm not judging, no judgment, but that's what you're going to do. And that's what I'm fighting against. I thought that that was, that was pretty cool. I thought that was a great commentary and game of Thrones is really good at doing that kind of social commentary. And I thought that that was one of the, better moments of that this season that being said long scene long scene and did it work because he sends her into loris i don't know what he ultimately wants her to do in there and she's like saying to him like hey don't don't listen to anything that they're saying like don't right. but don't buy any of this stuff and he's basically was he saying like kill me kill me end it 
Yeah, that's basically what he was saying. He was like, I don't want, like, I don't care. He's like, he's so happy to see Marjorie because it's like, not because she's his sister, but because this might be a person he can convince to kill him. You know, it's like, I don't care if he's playing games with us. I don't care if he's using you to get to me. Please just kill me anyway. That's how miserable I am. That's a really sad state of affairs for the Knight of Flowers. That's really, really rough for Loris. But hold on. So if Loris ultimately like wants to die, I mean, why doesn't he just confess his what whatever he did? I mean, won't he just? Well, we don't you know, know. We don't know that he has that option. You know, that might not be on the table. The High Sparrow might feel that Loris is irredeemable. Uh, and is and what are they he, doing with him? What, and why does he send Marjorie torturing him? him, torturing him, torturing them both? Because the High Sparrow, at the end of the day, probably not a great guy. Uh, and I think that you know, if he is the type of person that really views homosexuality as a massive sin then he is going to play this awful, awful psychotic game with this guy. And I think that that might be what we're seeing. And that's really freaking awful. All right. So we then had a scene where Cersei walks in on Tommen and there's Pycelle trying to tell him something. What is Pycelle trying to get him to do? Um, I think he's just trying to be important. I think he's really embarrassed about farting in front of Robert Strong (laughs) the other week. I think that's also why he's like clanking his chains all around to mask the sounds. I think that he's honestly just there to insert his voice and to feel like he is a part of this. He's part of the small council. Cersei is as powerless as we've ever seen her, even though she's starting to build that back up. And I think Pycelle is sort of puffing his chest out and being like, hey, I can have conversations with Tom and too. Look at me. I'm pretty sweet. I think it's really not much more than that. Josh, what was your take on, we didn't get to hear what Tommen said to Cersei. What does he tell her that the High Sparrow told him? Right. Well, she, in the very next scene, goes in to Kevin Lannister and the Queen of Thorns with Jamie and says, Mar- uh, Marjorie is going to do the Walk of Atonement. And Elena's like, no, we are not doing that. That is not happening. And Cersei's like, you're right. Let's not do that. Let's send your soldiers in to stop it from happening. And so she and Jamie have convinced Kevin and Elena to lead House Tyrell's forces into King's Landing where they will use them when they are about to set Marjorie off to do this walk of shame. Now, is that actually what Tommen told her? Who knows? We didn't see what Tommen told her. And for my money, I don't remember Marjorie ever saying to the High Sparrow, I'm ready to do this walk of atonement. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't recall that at all. So is this a gambit on Cersei and Jamie's part to get the Tyrells to do their dirty work to take out the High Sparrow. I think that that's not off the table. Could you talk about where is the Lannister army? Where where is the King's Landing army right now, and why aren't they in play right this? Why do they need the Tyrell army to be the attacking force against the Faith Militant? Right. Well, I think you know they've got the City Watch. We've seen the City Watch this season. I don't feel like that's a super robust group, or at least like they are really dedicated to making sure that King's Landing is not blowing up right now because the High Sparrow has so much momentum. Mm-hmm. Lannister forces. I think a lot of them are um, in River Run and like holding down places that they've conquered. Um, so I don't know where like the big mass of Lannisters are right now but we also know that the Lannisters are weakened um, at least as far as they were when they started this show I think that they're thinner than they've been in the past Uh, so for Jaime and Cersei's perspective especially when they don't really care too much about House Tyrell maybe it behooves them to get them to do the dirty work and if anyone's going to get any major major blowback in terms of their personnel at least it's not our guys 
Okay, so what is this plan going to be? They're just going to storm the High Sparrow? Yeah, it seems like it seems like, you know, I think that the way that they describe it, it's like they're going to march Marjorie out. And before they get the chance, we're going to take Marjorie back and we're going to arrest or even kill the High Sparrow. So it seems like they're waiting for that day, um, unless I read that incorrectly, in which case there would be some truth to this thing that they're saying that they're pitching that this is what the High Sparrow was planning. Um, But either way, yeah, it seems like they're going to position the Tyrells against the Faith Militant and blood will ensue. There will be blood. Well, looking forward to that because the sooner we take out the High Sparrow, (laughs) the sooner we can move on with things. Yeah, I I don't disagree. I think that, you know, there have been interesting things that he's brought to the show, but I feel like the clock's ticking on that story. Uh, The other big place that we got to see tonight was over uh, in the Vale. And we got to see Sweet Robin is back with Littlefinger. Oh, Sweet Robin. Cool. Neat. Yeah, Neat Robin was back. And he is so bad at archery, that kid. Wowie wow, does he suck. He's not good. Not great. Uh, But you know what is great is how much of a grasp on that kid Littlefinger has. He is so good at manipulating that kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He brought him back, and he's like, "Oh, I brought you a pet. It's an eagle." Like, oh, like, yeah, Mark the Falcon. Yeah, Mark the Falcon. Yeah. Uh, there you go. And so uh, he's back, and so is Littlefinger. And uh, we have this this really great scene uh, where uh, Littlefinger is uh, is being questioned by Lord Royce. Yeah, Yance uh, Royce. Like, hey, uh, by the way, what happened? That how did Sansa was here? How did she end up with the Boltons? And then uh, basically, a little finger like uh, turns it around on. Yeah, Lord he points Royce. his little finger on Lord Lord Royce. Like you did it. This is you. Yeah, it's all your fault, buddy. You know, Robin, do something about it. And Robin's like, should I throw him through the moon door? Like, oh, it's just like let oh. me think about that. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. or maybe let's give him one more chance. Right. It's great. I, I like. It was just so great because Littlefinger. It's easy to forget that. Littlefinger hasn't been on the show in six episodes. Like, it has been a long layoff for Peter Baelish. We didn't see him for a lot of season five, and the last time we saw him, I think there were, like, three episodes to go. Um, So it's been a minute, and for him to show back up on the show and really just snap his fingers and be, like, right back into the heart of power and just being able to manipulate one guy so easily, really two people, because he's able to manipulate Sweet Robin, who isn't such a hard mark, but this other guy into basically being, like, yeah, all right, cool. I'll do whatever you say, Littlefinger, as long as you don't throw me through the moon door. And all of that in the span of three or four minutes was really beautiful to see. That was great. Uh, so now the uh, Knights of the Vale are going to march on Winterfell? That seems to be the plan. That's what Littlefinger is saying. And I mean, if we're doing the math here, uh, Winterfell, under Bolton control, apparently has around 5,000 guys, according to Sansa. Uh, Wildlings, they've got 2,000, according to Tormund. However many they've got in the veil, and they're coming from the south, and these guys are coming from the north. They don't know they're coming. They don't know they're coming yet, but we know they are. And mm-hmm. I feel like at this point, you gotta feel like this is going to be lights out for Ramsey Bolton and like savor the flavor while you got him here, because this is not gonna work out well for the guy. Yeah, no, I like the odds of, you know, two thousand wildlings, one one the giant. Yeah, one one is like a solid five hunch just on his own. Right. Are we taking the night's watch? Whoever's left from the night's watch, or are they in on that? Gotta imagine those guys could be like, yo, resurrected Jon Snow will follow you anywhere right then you know the you got uh, melisandra lord right. light so i feel like that you know you take it's all not, those guys yeah this is not and, much and, of a competition and i do think that okay there are bolton forces but i do think like oh 
the Starks are back. Like, okay, well, you know, and you they would, have a giant, <laughs> right? You would think yeah. that, um, you know, while maybe some people in the north are like, hey, I really don't like that they let all these wildlings in. You know, I'm really not cool with all these wildling refugees being brought across the border. You know, are we checking these guys? Are they, sure, some people in the north are probably not going to be cool with that. But you know, hey, but, oh, it's a Stark. Okay, I like that name brand yeah. recognition. I think, yeah, exactly. I think it's going to be like. Starks with wildlings, but they also have a giant is going to outweigh the flayed, <laughs> the flayed man, like the guy who just like really likes to skin people. Yeah, I think that's going to work. Uh, what's going to be great about all of this when Jon Snow and everybody just like pummel Winterfell and totally take it over. What's going to be fantastic is during all of this, the wall is just going to get completely ravaged and destroyed by the White Walkers. Yeah. Completely unattended, and everyone is going to be boned by that. Yeah, that's not good. That's not, not good. good. Josh, uh, I just want to just uh, harp on one thing before we get into uh, the questions from uh, you guys uh, that are watching us live. Uh, in that scene between John and Sansa, uh, I feel like there was a lot of talk of like, oh, I wish we would have never left Winterfell that day. Do you remember that day that we were all back there? Oh, I wish we could go back there. Yeah. You and I have been talking about time travel and potential time travel paradoxes. What will happen if Bran goes back in time to different points in the show's history? You don't think that maybe that we could have at some point Bran going back to the first episode of Game of Thrones. Basically, hey, everybody just stay at Winterfell. Nobody leave. And then that just like that's that has to be the end of the show you're describing. Right. Um. So George R. R. Martin is like really, you know, he was at least at one point in time famously came out against the ending of lost a show that he loved very very much and then said like botched the landing and he's used that as a reference point of like i'm not going to botch the landing uh on game of thrones like on a song of ice and fire i know what i'm doing um if if game of thrones which is not under george r, r. martin's control uh but is obviously heavily inspired and based on his books uh, if it were to end in that way, then they screwed things up worse than Lost. <laughs> okay, I, look, I just thought it was odd <laughs> that they said no way twice. They said twice. Oh, I wish we could go back there. Oh, I wish we could too. I no, wish we I, never left. Yeah, but I, I, I think that we could see Bran go back to that day and try something. I think that that wouldn't be impossible, and then fail horribly. Just uh, because that this scene, that when we first saw Bran this season, that we we saw the other point in time right. that sort of echoed that moment that they were referencing. Oh, he was on Lost too. Yeah, <laughs> he was also on last season of Game of Thrones. Right, right, yeah. right, 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 right. So I, I just thought that was interesting. All right, let's get into some of these questions. All right, uh, let's start with our Philly who says, uh, Smart Money says Rickon dies some kind of horrific death at Ramsey's hand during the Battle of Winterfell, right? Um, man, I mean, if he makes it that far, if he doesn't just die next week, <laughs> then, then probably bad for Ramsey. Is really a horrible plan. If this was some sort of plan and you put Rickon in Ramsey's hands, then you are the worst plan maker ever. You think Rickon is dead? You think Rickon's a dead man? I don't know if he's a dead man. I think that there's ways to get him out of there. But, you know, if right now, given everything we know, I had to flip, you know, I had to flip a coin or I had to make a call like yes or no. Is he going to make it out? I don't like his odds. I think he's in a really bad spot. And you could very easily see Ramsey doing something awful to that kid. Do you just feel like that Rickon does, just doesn't have winners at it in terms of uh, <laughs> we haven't seen his story at yeah. all? Yeah, he's watch, the one Stark. Watch that visibility spike, you know? Yeah, if he gets a visibility spike, you think he's dead. Yeah, medevaced out of there. Okay, uh, Sarah Blackfire says, it feels like things uh, were moving very quickly. 
but I still enjoyed the episode. Where does Danny go from here? Back to Marine. I don't dare dream she'll go to Westeros yet. What do you think? She's got to double back and and see what was going on back at base camp. Yeah, don't dream of it yet. You know, you can dream of it as long as you're not like really banking on that happening. I don't think that Danny's in Westeros this season. I could see the end of the season and the end of the Danny storyline this year being like, all right time to go to the seven kingdoms and she hops on drogon and starts flapping off in that direction like i could see that i could see danny on the way to westeros by the end of this thing but not before then not before you know the final stretch of episodes this year uh, i think she's going back to me reading and i think that she'll be back there either next week or the week after tom palmer says i love how john is leaving the stupid wall the white walkers are a red herring just like in the walking dead the true villains are the humans are the white walkers a red herring josh um, I think that, you know, I think that that's a little bit of a misunderstanding of The Walking Dead, too. Like, the humans are awful. You know, they're really bad. Even some of the good ones are pretty terrible. And I think that, you know, you have to be worried about the people who still have brains and can think for themselves. Those people are very, very dangerous and oftentimes in many ways more dangerous. And I think that that's very true of Game of Thrones as well, where there's so much petty infighting between these people and people really trying to one-up each other and trying to stake out land and going through horrible, violent means to get there. But if you're ignoring the massive army of zombies approaching the wall, trying to break through that and invade Westeros, then I think you're ignoring, you know, that red herring is a pretty big herring. I don't think it's a red herring. herring, And I think that herring is going to eat you alive if you ignore it. Uh, So I think that it's a pretty big deal on the show for sure. It's really wants to know what is the ship name for Brienne and Tormund? (laughs) Trienne? Trienne? I don't know. know. I'm just taking the T of Tormund and slicing uh, that up. Bremond? Brormund? Brebane? Tormund, Uh, Giants, Brienne. (laughs) Okay. Uh, this is from uh, John L. Gonzalez. Why is Brienne giving Melisandre a pass for killing Renly? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not like she's just going to like whip out Oathkeeper right there in the middle of Castle Black and chop off the Red Woman's head, especially considering she just brought someone back to life. Uh, and Brienne just got there. And it seems like people are at least curious about Melisandre, if not outright thankful for what she just did feels like that would be a bad impression to make on everybody i think just like circumstantially she can't do it yet okay but she does Daniel, say I, I i will remember this i am not forgetting it and i'm not forgiving it so keep an eye on that i think that brienne very easily could make a move against melisandre daniel johnson wants to know why do you guys think that varus was so quiet in the slave negotiations because i think that he read the room and it's like Ugh, this isn't popular but i kind of agree with it but i don't want to be the guy who says that Mm-hmm. you know yeah. <laughs> it's like let Tyrion take the bullets here on that position but like kind of quietly i think he's doing the right thing alex kidwell wants to know yes. what seems more appetizing a big steamy bowl of wall stew or a big steamy bowl of brown from flea bottoms finest oh man um i think i'll go i'll go wall stew i think wall stew is where i'll go because you're cold up there and I think when you're that like you're deathly cold, you know, when you're really just like super, super freezing, I think a nice bowl of soup, even if it's a not so nice bowl of soup, will treat you better than, you know, in like hot flea bottom. Like, I feel like that's just like and also I just don't like the bowl of brown. That just sounds gross. Yeah. A uh, better question is a uh, soup is the soup a meal is the soup a meal. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. 
Yes. We'll get to the bottom of that one day. All right. Okay, work uh, on that. No Lies wants to know, was the powerful reunion between John and Sansa a little less powerful since they've never actually had a scene together in the entire series? No, because I, I, and I think maybe it would have been if they had just like pretended like everything was great. You know, like if they were just like, oh man, we're such good friends and we were like the best siblings and it's so good to be together. But the fact that they air out like, I was kind of awful to you, wasn't I, John? He was like, yeah, you were pretty terrible, but it's all right because you're here now and we've survived so much. I think mm-hmm. that that softened it. I think that that made it better. And I think just like for any of those people to see family members again uh, is just so remarkable in and of itself that it almost doesn't matter who it is. You know, it could have been, uh, I mean, I guess honestly, like of all the possible combinations, that is probably the least satisfying one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it still it still was really satisfying, I thought. I thought that they played it incredibly well. Let me just ask you real quick, and and you have all of these uh, plot lines, you know, uh, down cold. So who is aware of the fact that Bran and Rickon are not dead? Now, Sansa, uh, Sansa found that out last season that they're not dead, right? Right, correct. Did did John ever hear that they were dead? I th- I don't know if Sam. I can't remember off the top of my head if Sam told John that he let uh, Bran and Rickon, or just Bran rather past the wall uh that happened back in season three um he let sam sam let brand through i don't know if sam ever told john somebody can can call that out okay uh because john did not seem surprised like oh hold on brand and rickon are not dead right yeah well i mean a lot there was a lot of yada yadaing too i mean it seems like john told sansa yeah i died and now i'm back and that happened and sansa doesn't even talk about it really it's just like well given the climate of the wall right now now that you're not on the wall which implies that they had that conversation and she seems to be taking it really well okay uh so they they powered through a few conversations off camera all right and then one last question my tv pc uh wants to know who will be killed off first, Robin or Rickon? Who you got, Josh? Oh, that's a great, great, great question. I hope Robin. Uh, I really do hope it's the sweet Robin. <laughs> uh, but yeah. The problem is that if Robin gets killed off, then Littlefinger loses all of his power in the veil. And I think that's sort of one of the biggest things he's got going these days. If he does not have that, what does he have? Here's here's what I'll say then. Um, I think that in terms of immediate danger, obviously Rickon is the likelier bet to die. Uh, Long term, like I could see Rickon making it out of this thing okay. I feel like eventually the show will give us the death of Sweet Robin. Like I feel like that'll happen eventually because you will want to take that power away from Littlefinger because that's dramatically satisfying to see that guy lose. Um, So I, I feel like that character will die. Uh, and I feel like Rickon is more likely to die soon if it ever happens. But I feel like the only satisfying way for Robin to die is to go out the moon door, and I feel like we, that we need to be in the veil for that to happen. I mean, can you imagine, like, who's going to stab him? Well, what if you go, what if you take him to the north and they're, like, staying at a tavern and one of the wildlings raids the tavern and the door is shaped like a moon and he just, like, beats Robin to death with a moon-shaped door? No, I, we have to see him fly. We have uh, to see Robin well, fly. Well, if he hits him so hard with the moon door and he just like goes flying, doesn't that count? Mm, I guess so, but I think that that would be the satisfying. Enemy. It's like second best. That's the second best way to do it. Yeah, okay. 
What's what's the hashtag tonight, Josh? Oh, I don't know. I don't have a good, any good ones right now. Um, uh, seven years a slave. No, uh, Sparrowlog. Uh, Sparrowlog was Car- great. Carly uh, Fiorica. No, the Sparrowlog was great. Sparrowlog. Like okay, that's probably the most PC yes. out of any of those choices. All right. So Josh and I will be back with our Game of Thrones feedback show coming up later on this week. Lots of ways to get your questions into the show. Of course, uh, you could leave us comments on postshowrecaps.com on this post. Uh, that's one way to do it. Also, you could send us an email, t uh, sorry, G-O-T at postshowrecaps.com. And then also on our voicemail, our hotline bling, uh, postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail to leave us voicemail for the show. And we will get all of those questions answered Later on this week, make sure you subscribe to the podcast to not miss it. Postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes. Postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes is also a link uh, on the post page on postshowrecaps.com. And then Josh will have the book club later on this week. Yes, correct. Also coming up that Alex Kidwell and I will be back with Fear the Walking Dead tomorrow. We'll be talking about all of that. Thank you, Alex. Thank you so much. Josh and Antonio Mazzaro are continuing Mr. Robot Revisited on post-show recaps. I actually listened to uh, the episode two recap. Oh, yeah? Have you watched episode two or did you just listen to it? You know, I, I've seen I've seen like the first eight episodes okay, of Mr. Good, Robot. Good, good, good. I need to finish. I, I need to catch up with the last two. I was uh, about to publicly shame, shame, shame you if you were just listening to it without having watched the show because that's not good. You just want to watch the show. On no, the I watch it. I need, I need the refresher, though, to Fair get ready enough. for season two. Sounds good. That's the the purpose of the podcast. Hope a few of you guys are interested in checking that out. Postyourrecaps.com slash Mr. Robot iTunes. And Josh, you are killing it on the Hollywood Reporter with all of your Game of Thrones uh, coverage. What do you have coming up in the next couple days? Well, in about 15 minutes, I'll be hopping on the phone with uh, uh, the man who plays Carl Morrow. Uh, So we'll get a eulogy from him. If anyone's got any burning questions for that guy, you've got about 10 minutes if you're watching this on the live thing to send them my way. Ask him if he thinks that Jorah and Dario uh, gassed the uh, the temple. <laughs> all right, sure. I will. I'll ask him that question. I'll ask no, him about the mechanics with that. of it. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, that's how I'll lead. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> talk me through yeah. uh, the eggs. Uh, so excited right. to talk to you. Yeah, let's get this. Yeah, I don't think so. Probably Of not. course, uh, you can get all that stuff. THR.com slash Game of Thrones or by following the great Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He is at Round Howard. Correct. Do that. Yes. All right. I'm at Rob Sisternino. Thanks to Alex Kidwell behind the scenes for pulling all your questions. Uh, Looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say on postyourrecaps.com. Have a great night. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.